And the story begins. All right. Okay, chapter 26, page 296. We're switching gears. It's going to be fun. Until now, the goal of Tanya, let's start with the general goal of Tanya, all the way from the cover page, page one. The goal of Tanya is to teach us how a relationship with God, an emotional relationship, not just a behavioral relationship, is practical, is doable. This thing is very near to you, as the verse said. How is it near? I don't see God. I don't feel Him. At best, I can appreciate what He does for me. But how do I, how do we find Him? And the answer that Tanya gave us in the first 25 chapters was look inside yourself. And there were two, we, we split it into two different methods um, in how to access this passion and awe and love and feelings for God. We split it into two ways. The first 17 chapters elaborated on how to develop a relationship of, with God through thinking about Him. The more I think about Him, the more I'll appreciate Him, the more I'll feel Him. Then we had chapter eight, chapters 18 to 25. Dormant love. The dormant love. We have a hidden love. We don't have to think about God to appreciate Him. We just have to realize who we are. And if I would be willing to die for my Judaism, which is something we'd all innately do, <clears throat> instinctually do, I should say, then we should be, well, def certainly be willing to live for our Judaism. And that's the hidden love. So now... I developed some level of love or at least appreciation for God. But I'm still being challenged by my impulses, by my evil inclination, by my animal soul. I'm still in this war. How do I maintain this love? This love cannot be maintained if I'm not motivated. And my pen is gone. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he gave an analogy. The analogy was you have two people wrestling with one another, trying to take each other down. Who's going to be the winner? Not necessarily the strongest one. Not necessarily the strongest one, right? The more motivated one. Even though we have strength, we have the dormant love, we have the tools to develop appreciation with our intellectual capabilities. We have strength. Right? This dormant love was inherent, was bequeathed to us um, from our forefathers we have the soul we have strength but that's not enough we need motivation if we're not motivated it won't work here's a really interesting I find a, a really powerful adage let's take a look at text one in our papers here even though it, this, so this is an adage from Reb Aaron of Karlin you may be familiar with the Karliner dynasty of, of Hasidim. Rav Aaron of Karlin was a contemporary with um, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. They lived around the same time. They clashed. They clashed philosophically. Not uh, They were still very respectful with, with one another, but they had very different philosophies in how to approach Hasidic teachings, <clears throat> which is very interesting. But here's what he says. Even though the feeling of negative emotions 
feeling depressed. The, the, the literal translation of the word is atzvot, which means depressed, but it doesn't mean depression. It means depressed in the literal sense of the word. There is a feeling that is depressing me. And that could be any, that could be a broad application to any negative emotion. Even though the feeling of negative emotions is not an explicit Torah prohibition, it nevertheless has the ability to drag a person far more, drag a person down far more than any other sin. It's like a gateway drug. <laughs> it's not a sin, but it's a gateway sin. Because as soon as we're feeling negative, now we're open to all sorts of lusts. Now we're not in a good place. Now we're easy to be... Our, our strength is irrelevant because we're not motivated. Where does motivation come from? <clears throat> Is it your question? No. No. Open no, question. <laughs> from your soul? Motivation comes from the soul, okay? It does. From serving oh. Hashem. From serving God, but we need motivation to serve God. So where does that? How do I get myself to be motivated? To, to find the dormant love. The dormant love will motivate us. The, 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 but where where else does motivation come from? Hunger. Hunger. Thirst. Thirst. Okay, I feel like I'm lacking something, right? A need. Let's let me ask the question the other way around. Where does laziness come from? Where does not the lack of motivation come from? Um, a lack of connection. Lack of connection. I don't feel like I'm part of it. Doing the same oh. thing over and over. A lack of becoming when it's monotonous, right? No okay. goal. No, no vision. No goal. A lack of success. Okay, success breeds success. And I'm not the, the, by the way, none of these are, are right or wrong. These are all true answers. I shouldn't say they're not right. like what you're looking for, though. Not what I'm looking for, but none of these are wrong. Mm -hmm. But Tanya has a, a very powerful approach as to where motivation comes from, where laziness comes from. Let's take a look at what he says. Page 296 in the bottom. You know what? Let's read... Okay, who wants to be a volunteer? We're going to read the, first, the, the, the bold paragraph. The middle bold paragraph. The, 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 big, the big paragraph. Okay. Um, you want to go for it? And starting with that just? Yes. Okay. That, just as with a physical competition, such as two men wrestling together, each one trying to pull the other down, if one of them is sluggish and lethargic, he will easily be defeated and pulled down, even if the sluggish one is stronger than his opponent. The same is true, literally, with the fight against your impulse to evil. You simply can't defeat it with sluggishness and lethargy. Okay, let's stop right there for one second. Okay. So I might be passionate about God, I might appreciate God, but I still might be unmotivated. I still might be lazy. Conceptually, I get it. And I know that I have this dormant love, and I get inspired at times, but I'm still lazy. I can't defeat my... Evil impulse, my Yetzirah, my animal soul. Where does this sluggishness, this lethargy come from? So let's continue. Uh, you simply can't defeat it with sluggishness and lethargy. That comes from depression and a stony, desensitized heart. Okay. So what what leads to motivation? Sorry, sorry, lack of motivation. <laughs> a stony, desensitized heart. Depression. depression. 
Now, depression doesn't necessarily mean clinical depression, but depression in the literal sense of the word. There's baggage on me that's weighing me down. There's something weighing me down. I am emotionally insensitive towards my Judaism. All these things are going are, are a good reason not to be motivated. In other words, there's no such thing as, at least, I don't know about clinically, but at least in the context of Tanya, there's no such thing as chronic laziness. That's not, that's not a diagnosis. It's not a diagnosis. There's no chronic laziness. There's no such thing as I'm inherently lazy. I don't know my son is. I might. <laughs> no, the, the tr- no, a person has tendencies to be lazy. If we look, if we look back to, to chapter one, um, there are the four elements of the animal soul, which produces different negative character traits. There was the water, the, the, the fire, the water, wind, and earth. Right? The fire is the arrogance. For the animals, for the divine soul, it would be passion. The water represented lust. Wind represented idle chatter, airy. And earth represented laziness. So a person will have the potential for laziness in their personality. But it's not chronic. It actually comes from somewhere. It's motivated by something or lack of something. It comes from some sort of depression. A stony, desensitized heart. In other words, I'm uninspired. The reason why I'm lazy is because I'm uninspired. It's a lack of openness. I'm, I'm not... For, for gaining insight and knowledge. And... Yeah. And, and why am I uninspired? There is some sort of baggage, some, some sort of depressed weight mm-hmm. on me that's depressing me in the literal sense of the word, not in the clinical sense of the word. Or there's something that's making me in. The, the, I'm just not sensitive. I'm not sensitized toward so God, towards to Judaism. Lift it and and so somehow we have to lift it. We have to lift up that weight. We have to make some sort of shift in our life. Yeah, it's important to read that word correctly because desensitized is different than insensitive, right? Yeah, it's like it's it's well, got so much it, sensitivity that it's God doesn't feel anything because it's desensitized. How how would you understand desensitized? Well, versus so, insensitized. Like, ins, insensitive seems to be a static, um, enduring thing. Desensitized, in my mind, is a short-lived. Um, uh, uh, it, it's it's some. An external influence seems to have disturbed your sense your, your senses. So that's so, desensitized. Yes, yes. No, Whereas it's not in, chronic, insensitive it's seems to be like regardless of, of external stimulus, you're just okay. That makes sense. You're just you know nothing outside is going to change the fact that you're not you're sensitized. So that makes sense. That makes sense with the literal translation. If you look at the Hebrew word, think you mean unsensitized. Unsensitized. Basically, not I'm not sensitive. Now, what causes that lack of sensitivity is, I guess, is the, it would be the difference. Right. So, what you're saying actually is consistent with the Hebrew translation, the literal translation for desensitized heart, timtum halev. If you see, timtum halev, timtum means stuffed, stuffed means heart, a stuffed heart. Stuffed. 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 <laughs> a stuffed heart. To clogged. Stuffed. A clogged heart. Stuffed. Not in not in the pulmonary sense, but right. in the emotional sense. I, 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 okay, 
So if I want to get rid of laziness, the source of the laziness, in other words, laziness is just is not a problem. Laziness is a symptom. Right? To tell somebody, don't be lazy, okay? <laughs> There's a very interesting therapist that I, that I listen to and, and read his articles. He's not, I, find, I follow him on LinkedIn. And his, he's, not a, he's actually not in the Hasidic world by any means. A Jewish guy, observant Jewish. But his, his ideas and philosophies are very consistent with this. And he says, why are we telling kids what they shouldn't be doing and not what they should be doing? Don't disturb in class. Don't be lazy. Okay, what should I be? <laughs> what should they be? We, in other words, let's focus on not just the symptoms that are disrupting us, but the root. The symptom, the problem is I'm lazy, but that's not the problem, that's the symptom. So just like curiosity, I, as, as you were repeating that word over and over again, I was like, did we actually read that somewhere? You're using the word lazy, but I, um, that's not a word I would have selected. And, okay. And I went looking for it, and I didn't find it. Sluggishness, so sluggishness and lethargy. Right, which I wouldn't necessarily say. Or, I mean, la lazy has this connotation to it. It's a connotation. Um, that that is. But so okay, sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean. Intentional, um, like it's intentional, but in sluggishness and lethargy might so, be exactly. passive, unintentional. Exactly. That, that's that's how I would. Okay, I didn't see it that way. But so the, so maybe sluggishness. I, I like sluggishness as opposed to lazy because lazy. It sounds like you're sluggish because of the weight on you, and you can't move because of the weight. Okay. Whereas laziness, laziness is a I choice. I choose to not yeah. do anything. Yeah. It's it's like okay. in your face. It's it's right. uh, it's. Okay, trying that, to that, prove a point that laziness. It's a positive negative. You're positively active, being negative. It's active. Laziness <laughs> active is active. Negative, yeah. Okay, interesting. I didn't see it that way, but that's... Okay. So, so let's... Mind sluggishness and lethargy. Sluggishness and letharginess. I don't know if that's a word. Lethargy. <laughs> Lethar lethargy. Is it lethargy. It's lethargy? Yeah. yeah, lethargy. Okay. For some reason, they don't teach us these words in yeshiva. They teach us... Where to put the syllable on that one. The, the, yeah, the right... Uh, the emphasis on the wrong... On the right syllable. Uh, <laughs> sluggishness, lethargy are not problems within themselves. They're symptoms... Of what he calls depression feelings that are literally depressing us and a stony desensitized heart now conversely the other way around where does motivation come from or what he calls enthusiasm come from um a, a an, an unburdened and an open a a uh, positive a a um, enlightened a, okay good you know Good, good. Let's take a look soft, inside. Soft, sensitized heart. <laughs> so this is going to be interesting. Um, I'll show you soon. Let's take a look at this last bold paragraph. You will succeed only with enthusiasm, with motivation. The Hebrew is zrizut. Zrizut is, a, is, is alacrity, right? Where does that come from? Three places. And if, if you are accustomed to taking notes in your book, some people don't like to write in their books, some people do. I personally love writing in my books. If I were to be a book writer, I would underline this. 
Result comes from three places. Number one, results from joy, a receptive heart, and being free from any hint of worry and sadness in the world. Those three things will each contribute to motivation. So again, motivation is also not a thing, not a, not a symptom, a, because symptom is more of a negative thing, but it's a... Uh, Motivation is a result of a greater cause. What causes motivation? What leads to motivation? The joy. If I have simcha, if I have joy, if I have, if I have a receptive heart, if I'm open, and if I'm free from worry. Because if I'm worrying, that's going to depress me in the literal sense of the world, that's going to stop me. If I'm not receptive, if I'm not open. Again, same idea. I'm open to, I, I'm not motivated. If I don't have joy, I'm also not motivated. Now, here's the interesting thing. He says these three things, and he's actually laying out, you know, as we said before, Tanya has informal sections. It's really 53 chapters, but informally there's different topics. Right? Chapter 17, 1 to 17 was how to develop love or appreciation with the mind. 18 to 25, the dormant love. 26 to 33 is all essentially one topic, motivation. Are you using motivation? Uh, mo motivation or... And enthusiasm yeah, is the same. Uh, yes, yes, yes. So here's the interesting thing. Joy, which is number one, that's chapter, we're going to go back, he goes backwards here. Joy is discussed in chapters... 33. 33 and 32. A receptive heart is chapters 31 to 29, or 29 to 31. Free from any hint of worry or sadness in the world, 26, 27, 28. We're in 26 now, but the, the second half of 26. Did you hit this when you were doing your Worry to Warrior? Did, did this particular idea come up? So, so this is actually what we... The Worry to Warrior was actually quote, what was based on this exact text. Mm -hmm. This is something that, that kind of stuck out when I was learning it a while ago, a couple of years ago with, with somebody. It just, it hit me. Those, he's actually, he's literally led, setting the stage for what we're going to be discussing. The three ingredients for motivation. Joy, chapters 33 to 32, 33. A receptive heart, chapters 29 to 31. Free from any hint of worry or sadness, that's chapters 26 to 28. And if we can work on one or all of these three things, we'll be motivated. We'll have the energy. Another thing... Is Javi home? That's why I was asking. Maybe I think Javi's here, but I think that the two have gone. But she, they, they let her quiet until she falls asleep. Oh, so it's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just want to make sure. No, no, it's. Cause I, yeah, I can hear Javi. She's gone. She's here or she's gone? She's gone upstairs. She's upstairs. Oh, okay. She was walking, I think, yeah. Okay. Now, another thing this teaches us number one, joy, positive emotions, which lead to motivation, are a function. Right? They say there's no road to happiness, happiness is the road. 
That's exactly what we're saying. The goal isn't do these things. Follow Jewish practice and you'll be happy. Which maybe you will be and hopefully you will be. Hopefully you started out that way. But, 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 <laughs> but our, in our context, it's the other way around. Use happiness as a tool. Happiness is not something we serve. It's something that serves us. We're not here to serve happiness. Be slaves to our own happiness. Happiness is a tool that we're going to use. It's not going to control our lives. It's going to guide our lives. Or enhance our lives, if you will. This, this whole thing is like, take control of everything. Because you don't know, like, um, that not everything can be controlled. And can, like, certain life experiences or whatever. But this makes you take control. Well, like well, like your happiness and your yeah. heart. In other words, your, you can't control you, the situation. You can't control it. So you have to look at it and you have to get insight into it and you have to be motivated and you've got to take the weight off and then you've got to see the bigger picture and it's like kind of like, you see, yeah, but you can get stuck. And that's Definitely. Where, and that's what the, the stack is, you know, the depression and this desensitized heart. Yeah, and, 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 and dealing with these three things will, will equal motivation. So there's the three things. Number one, joy. Here's something interesting. Let's take a look. Joy is motivation. This is actually pretty clear from the Torah itself. Text uh, on our sheets over here. Text 2. An excerpt from Genesis. Where, so, so Jacob, Yaakov, goes out, falls asleep in his area, right? Has his dream. God's going to, he wakes up. God tells him he's going to protect him. He's all excited. And it says, and Yaakov lifted up his legs and walked to the land of the Easterners. He walked eastward. Imagine if he had lifted up his legs. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's, that's the question that the, com- the, the commentaries ask. Why are you telling me that he lifted up his legs? <laughs> it's a funny way to talk. Yeah. This is exactly what the commentaries ask. Why does it say he lifted up his legs? Just say he walked. So Rashi actually addresses that very issue. Let's take a look at text 3. So, so Rashi Ibn, Rashi, to, to that exact verse says, as soon as he received the good tidings that he was assured God's protection, as soon as he was uh, received good news, his heart lifted up his feet and he walked swiftly. As soon as he had something to rejoice over, his legs kind of just lifted him. He walked very swiftly. As soon as there was joy, there was motivation. Things went smoothly. Sometimes our relationship with God, our relationship with people, our relationship with life and ourselves, it's just not going anywhere. There's weight. But as soon as we have joy, our legs just lift. Things become smooth. Now in regards to the open heart, is that what, is that what he said? A receptive heart. Okay. Receptive. A receptive heart. Having a receptive heart also is... Here's an interesting thing. The Torah discusses... The prohibition of meat and milk. Having meat and milk is prohibited. And one of the reasons the commentaries point out is that meat and milk, in general non-kosher food, has an impact on our emotional well-being. And it makes our heart unreceptive. It makes our heart, it desensitizes our heart towards Judaism. Now here's the interesting thing that the commentaries point out. The prohibition of meat and milk is mentioned right after the prohibition, after the mitzvahs rejoice on the holidays. It's juxtaposed right next to one another. What's the correlation? If you want to rejoice, 
properly, you can't have a desensitized heart, which is why it gets into meat, the prohibition of meat and milk, which desensitizes the heart. Because having it, so all these things kind of go hand in hand. If we want curiosity, um, uh, the the whole milk and meat discussion is in there with many other laws of kashrut. Yes, no, or is this one kind of standalone? So. They're, they're kind of spread out. It actually, the, the milk and meat prohibition is mentioned three times in the Torah. Okay. Um, they're not necessarily... Definitely some of the times it's not necessarily mentioned with other kashras. Okay. Um, so in this particular case... It's kind of out of place, right? Yeah. Men, so, and that's what the, the commentaries are asking. Why is it out of place? Why is it mentioning it next to the holidays? That's that's why I was... And, yeah, exactly. There's that so, correlation. So maybe it was a tradition years back that they used to cook the kid in its mother's milk or whatever during the holidays and the festivity. And Interesting. that's why... And then it makes your heart hard because you're not sensitive to the, to the baby animals. and the and the mother. And you're just insensitive as well. So you desensitize. There's definitely the behavioral aspect, but even on a spiritual level, just just the consumption of it itself. Yeah. uh, So the Torah says you shall not cook the kid in its mother's milk. Yeah, that's the reason. So is that, does it do it three times? The same, does it use the same words three different times or does it ever say meat and milk? No, no, it says the same expression three times. Same expression. And there's a specific reason. There's a whole discussion about it, why it does that three times. It teaches us three different things. One time it, it's there to teach us that you can't eat it. One is to teach you that you can't cook it. And one is to teach you that you can't derive benefit from it. Can't derive, derive benefit. benefits. Huh. So you can't sell it. You can't mm-hmm. sell it. You can't feed it to your pet. That's why buying pet food is a little tricky. You can't buy milk and meat pet food. Hmm. Um, you, can't actually have pets anymore. <laughs> you, you could have pets. It, I mean, but 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 pet food, you got to be careful with. Um, why 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 can't why do you have to be careful with pet food? Because it might have it might have milk and meat. But I don't, just I don't how the the pet's benefiting, not you. No, you're benefiting it from it. It's your pet. You have to feed your pet. Uh, it's your responsibility. Get rid of the pet. <laughs> Either get rid of the pet or get rid of the pet food. One of the two. <laughs> the has to keep what, what if you had a house guest that's... You, um, you could feed your pet. No. Pork. Pork, there's no prohibition of deriving benefit. The, 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 the prohibition of deriving benefit, specifically, is specific to, to milk and meat. That's interesting. You can't eat pork, but you can derive benefit from it. It's not a question, though. Okay, what, what, so what about, a, I'm sure there's a whole discussion about your that. House then, right? Jewish, well, because it's, yeah. it says... That, that's because it says milk and meat three times to teach us those three things. It doesn't okay. say it by pork. Alright. So the pork is just mentioned once with the laws of Pashru. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. okay. exactly. So what, what, what if you have a guest in your house that's not Jewish, so they normally they can have milk and meat? But since we're guessing the house, you couldn't serve them because it's no, because you're getting yeah, you're, you're, just you're benefiting from to it. entertain them. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So in that case, you could you could feed them an ultimate burger. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 meat. the impossible burger. The impossible burger. Right, the impossible burger. You tasted it? <laughs> I have not. You know, in Costco, they've got the most delicious burgers that are not meat, and they're delicious. That's beyond burgers. Beyond burgers. Beyond burgers. So good. Trader Joe's. What, what if you get the monk kosher meat then? 
Yeah, and that's also with the pet. If the meat and the pet food is on kosher, is, that, is there still an issue? Yeah. If it's, in other words, if it was pork and meat and meat and milk and cheese, that wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't what be. Is meat is a point. Pork is meat. Only, it's only an issue with meat from kosher animals. Uh, hmm. So you can, you can have a, they, they could, they, they could eat a piggy cheeseburger in your house. Now your house would not be kosher after that, but that, well, that yeah. you, would be, you would not be deriving benefit. You wouldn't be deriving benefit from okay. it. Um, your house is going to smell like pork, <laughs> right. and you're going to want to wash your table afterwards. But <laughs> you with boiling water, yeah. But theoretically, the, the the prohibition of deriving benefit won't understand. Okay. Or or you know a Jew working in a McDonald's, you can't cook it either. You could cook pork as a Jew. Can't eat it. But you can't cook milk and meat as a Jew. So you cannot cook. So you can tell your boss, well, I can either make the burger or hand out slices of cheese, but I can't put it together. Exactly. (laughs) Even though it's unkosher meat. Correct. Unless it's in, if it was meat from a non-kosher animal, it would be fine. So if it was a horse meat cheeseburger. (laughs) So you just need to go to one of those horse jobs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right we digress okay well look it's all, it's all Torah it's all good stuff but the point is these three things joy a receptive heart being worry free these three things we're going to discuss in the reverse order are all going to contribute to our ability to be motivated and our motivation helps us and serves us rather than us being slaves to it but, but here's, the, here's the paradigm shift here joy in Judaism, is not a luxury, it's a necessity. And it's so important to remember that. It's to work towards, not to having it all the time, otherwise you're sacred. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it, it is work. It, it's work, because there's always stuff... I mean, it kind of implies that our natural state is motivation, in, in a sense. There is my depressive baggage hindering it. But if I didn't have that, I would have been motivated, right? My heart's not receptive, but otherwise I would, joy is, is not, you know, that's active, but some of these are just passive, removing whatever's obstructing the joy. When the baby wakes up in the middle of the night and screams, you should have joy because oh, yeah. you have a child. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Exactly. Okay, so when you woke up, you might. Exactly. Now, now, where that joy comes from, we'll get to in chapters 32, 33, a little bit of 31. Where that receptive heart, how do we have a receptive heart? How do we become sensitive toward our Judaism? Because it's very easy to become desensitized. We'll, we'll get there, chapter 29 to 31. Understanding the burden, what it is. Then you get a receptive heart. And, and, then, and then the actual burden. You know, we have yeah. burdens, we have challenges, we have um, negative feelings, we have worries. Okay. And we're going to address that. In the end, of, we're going to address that starting next week. Sorry. We, we, we have a pleasant distraction. <laughs> oh, we were having fun. She wants the wafers. This one. She was smiling. And then where, where, how do we become worry-free? We're going to discuss that at the end of chapter 26, which is going to be next week's class. How do we become warriors? 
how we become how we become <laughs> warriors by the then that entire course by the way warrior to warrior was based on these exact texts so some of the quotes will be familiar that was my favorite class that you've done so far it was fun it was very deep very deep and very thank you it was fun yeah. it was I, I had a good time very applicable to to life very 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 applicable so yeah. I, was doing that. I was i loved it so we'll get this time we're gonna get it though straight up yeah. <laughs> in text from the original straight source. From the, no, I don't want to say the horse's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next part of this chapter, two ninety seven. He says, "Wait a minute. Is it always appropriate to have joy? Maybe it is appropriate to experience negative feelings." Right? Maybe negative feelings are valid. And he actually brings a verse to, to back this up. Page 297, the first bold line, a verse from Proverbs by King Solomon. In every sadness there will be profit. Implying that there's some virtue and advantage to sadness. There's, a, there's, there's an advantage to experiencing negative emotions. And if God gave them to us, maybe we should just experience them as we get them. And now he rejects that idea. But the verse... It is a verse in the Torah that sadness has some sort of benefits. So maybe we should experience sadness. Maybe it's something we should allow ourselves to experience. I mean, does, does, does he really reject it? Or he just says, there's a time and a place. So good. So, so there's a balance. He says there's a time and a place for sadness. But look what he says. Because you yeah. have to, your heart has to experience that to become whole again, because it's otherwise it's desensitized. Well, look, look, if you desensitize, you're just happy the whole time. See, because like, the, 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 last, the last, this last sentence would kind of give credence to like sadness. The fact that there is that. So here's what he says. The second to bold, last bold paragraph, namely, okay. the prophet of this sadness refers to the genuine joy of feeling close to God, your God. That comes after justified sadness over your transgressions with a bitter soul and a broken heart. If we have justified sadness, mm -hmm. it can lead us to experience joy. If the sadness is justified. So how, how do you determine whether or not your sadness is justified? So how do we determine whether sadness is justified? Great question. So it's only because of transgressions and it's sadness? So... so, so because it's just doesn't make no, sense. No, no, no. You're always, there could be sadness from anything. No. But what makes it justified? That's the question. What makes it acceptable? What may, in other words, when should I reject it? When should I embrace it? When you're in control of it. Exactly. Sorry, say again? When you're in control of it. So when you're in control of it. In other words... you made it. You transgressed. Exactly. Exactly. So therefore, you should be sad about that because now you understand your behavior and your whatever but, you did. But sometimes there's situations. There's being sad over behavior. There's being sad over circumstances. I don't control circumstances. But then that's not okay because circumstances are shared in control. Exactly. So you're not allowed to be sad about Exactly. So, so, I mean, I'll, I'll take like the most immediate example for me. I, I can't help it, but I still experience sadness the passing of my father. And you know, it sounds like that's not really justified. He's, he seems to be talking here about internal sadness and sadness that you've caused on your own soul as opposed to a relative dying. Sadness, which is naturally going to be there, a relative Sa dies. Sadness... Right, right. Sad... Truth is, I don't know if sad is the right word. The Hebrew word is atzvot. 
Atzvut, which means, literally means depression, feelings that depress us. Mourning a loved one is appropriate. In fact, mourning a loved one is a, is an, is a Torah obligation. Moses died and the entire Jewish people mourned. So that wouldn't be termed sadness. Then. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. The, the Hebrew word that he, if you look at the Hebrew word, it's atzvut, etzev, which means a feeling that is, in the literal sense of the word, depressing our heart. A, a mourning over a loved one, the Torah not only sanctions, but actually encourages, and that's the whole shiva process, that's the whole year of mourning. The Torah is laying out this stage to appropriately experience grief. But circumstances in general, things didn't go our way. Or, you know, classic. <laughs> Years ago, I was with my family, we were in Washington, D.C., and we were like the out-of-towners. <laughs> didn't know where we were going. This was before GPSs. And, and smartphones and we were supposed to go to some kosher restaurant we had no idea how to get there my father has instructions written on a little piece of paper and we're roaming around for hours lost and my father's holding the paper and a big bus comes by <laughs> and there's a wind oh. paper flies out of his hand <laughs> it's frustrating it's very Every frustrating. Every Jew that you meet and ask where it is will give you directions whether he knows or not. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let me it's, tell you. Let oh, me I'll tell, tell you. you. I'll, I'll tell, tell you. you exactly how to get there. Exactly. Go straight and then ask, right? It's frustrating. But that's a circumstance. Is that sadness just... Is it normal to be sad or to be upset, annoyed in that situation? But it's a loss. A hundred percent, it's normal, but is it justified? Is it appropriate? Is it normal for circumstances to drag us down a hundred percent? And that's why we're addressing it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, <laughs> we wouldn't need to address it if it wasn't normal, if it wasn't the real problem. But it, he had control over it. He couldn't have done anything different to make Exactly. Peace. So therefore, that gust of wind is Hashem's doing, so therefore, we make peace. We can do nothing about it. And that's what he's saying, that is sadness appropriate? Does sadness have profit? Yes. Only if the sadness is justified. What makes sadness justified are two things. Number one, it's sadness over a behavior, over something we have a choice over that we could correct for the future. Not a circumstance, unless we put ourselves in that circumstance. Number two, it's experienced and scheduled at the proper time, as we'll discuss later at the end of the chapter. We'll talk more about that. Then it's justified sadness. And if the sadness is justified, then... The happiness that we'll experience from that will be genuine. In other words, sadness can be experienced, but it has to be in the right context. And actually, in, in one of his letters, in his responsa, the Rebbe gives a very comprehensive analogy to, to, to spell out this idea. A seed, before developing into a plant, before blossoming, what's the word? Decomposes. You put a seed in the ground, you water it, it decomposes. That decom decomposition, if you will, is that the word? Mm -hmm. Decom that decompos that decomposition is what enables it to grow to its full potential. If but it has to decompose in the right context. It has to be in proper soil, 
It has to be watered. It has to be nurtured. And in a healthy way, if it decomposes, it will grow. But if it's not going to be in soil, you're just going to put it on your dining room table and, decom and let it rot there. <laughs> that decomposition is going to accomplish nothing. It's going to be counterproductive. All you did is lose a seed. And it's the same thing with sadness. Sadness can be decomposing. And if experienced in the wrong context, namely unjustified sadness, it's harmful. Because it's going to stunt our motivation rather than propel it. But if it's, if it's justified sadness, like you said, Sharon, over something that I have a choice over, I have a choice to, do, to accomplish. So now... So give an example of an unjustified sadness. I didn't get didn't get a raise this year at work. Is that an it's unjustified sadness? Yes. Yeah. Only if only I had won the the lotto. There we go. <laughs> there we go. So so but but okay. Um. So 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 here. Here's a different twist on that on that, um, which is. Ultimately, I uh, I don't know whether I could have had an influence or not. That's the ultimate thing. But a coworker of mine was laid off, and I was saddened by this because um, I never I shouldn't say never I I rarely take the opportunities that I have to promote other people for the very positive things that they do in the organization. So we're all busy, and I could have made time to, to sing this person's praises, and I didn't. Now, they got laid off. They may have gotten laid off whether or not I had made the time to do this or not, but I, I felt sadness about that because I felt maybe if I had done that, they wouldn't have gotten laid off. Now, is that justified? So, so the insight would be maybe, if you, did you do it often? Did you make time after to say how wonderful that person was? I, I, I mean, because a bunch of people did, but it was too late. They, but you didn't have the insight at the time, so you couldn't right. beat yourself up because you only got the insight that... I mean, now you, now, you, now, now you know. So yeah. the, the question is, what does that... Is that sadness functional or is that sadness dysfunctional? Functional. Well, and yeah. you, you know from the outcome. Now, what makes it functional is, number one... I, it, 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 I learned from it. Okay. Maybe that's what makes it functional. So okay. it's like, okay, now I'm like, you know what? I need to make time so to, to, to do these things because it, it can matter. But if you felt sad about it for the next six years, that's, that's probably what If it was upset, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But another thing that makes sadness, and we're going to talk about this more, not in next week's lesson, but in two weeks from now. Because what we're going to do is we're splitting chapter three into chapter 30, whatever, chapter 26 <laughs> into three parts. Today's part, the introduction to the importance of joy. Next week's part, um, experiencing such circumstances that are overwhelming and how to, how to cope with that. And then in two weeks from now, we'll discuss actually how to approach sadness, how to approach guilt. When is guilt appropriate? When is guilt inappropriate? And we're going to discuss there when, what makes sadness justified, what makes it unjustified. And, and in real short, if I'm if the sadness is something that I'm reacting to, so it's always gonna that that's also unjustified. If it's something I'm intentionally reflecting on to see how I can grow from it, then it's justified. And we're going to talk more about it in in, in greater detail in two weeks from now. 
But here's something interesting. When we do experience sadness that's justified, and we don't fully understand what justified sadness is yet, but we will. But when we do experience justified sadness, which is intentional, not reactive, so now that's what King Solomon was referring to, that in every sadness there will be profit, we can experience joy afterward. Because it helps break down this iron wall that my behavior has built. It's like teshuva. It's like the idea of teshuva. Yeah. Teshuva. Yeah. It's, it's just like that idea. Exactly. In other words, every time we sin, and this is based on the verse, on the verse that he quotes in Isaiah, every time we sin, it kind of adds a layer between us and God desensitizes us, just like the of meat and milk that we mentioned earlier, right? These things create this emotional barrier between us and God. We feel desensitized. We don't feel this emotional connection. And sometimes we need to somehow pierce through that wall so a little bit of light can shine through. And what helps us pierce through that wall is regretting that behavior in the first place. We're making cracks in that wall, or maybe we'll even tear down the wall, and we'll experience the light. So is the goal itself to actively be negative and I'm a bad person? No. The goal is to take down that wall. What should the reaction be? I experience joy afterwards. If I don't, I'm doing it wrong. If I don't experience joy, I'm, I'm, then my sadness is unproductive and it, it's dysfunctional. And it, I'm, I got to start over. I got to get guidance. I'm doing because I'm doing it incorrectly. Can you put up the wall so that you do experience joy? No. Good question. That's Good question. What was your Can question? you put up the wall so that you do experience joy? Because somebody trying to pierce that. <laughs> Good question. In other words, can I sin <laughs> with the and then I'll do tshuva? And now I, now I, you can't do that. It says in, in that idea is addressed in the Talmud. It says somebody who says, and um, it's quoted actually in, in chapter 25, somebody who says, I will sin with the intention of doing teshuva, he's, not, he's not given the opportunity to do teshuva. Now, a person could always do teshuva, but he's not given the opportunity. It's going to be much harder. Because it's an intentional Because if, if what motivates sin is teshuva, then you're benefiting from the teshuva. Then, 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 well, then the, the teshuva is, the, the concept of teshuva is, is counterproductive. Whereas if, in other words, teshuva is supposed to remedy sin, not motivate it. Right. This idea is going to be elaborated in much more greater detail in the third section of Tanya which deals with teshuva. Let's take a look. We'll get a sneak peek on uh, text 6 over here on our sheets. Tanya Igerita Teshuva, that's the letter of teshuva. It's all about teshuva, that entire section, chapter 7. Um, who, likes, who would like to be our volunteer? David? The prophet compares sins to a cloud that dims the light of the sun. In the illustration, if one obscures the sunlight streaming through a window, with many fine and lacy curtains, they will darken as much as one thick curtain will, and even more. Exactly so is the parallel 
all those sins man tramples indifferently. Uh, and certainly those sins are sages stormed against that are actually like idolatry, idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed. Okay, thank you. So every time we sin, we're putting some sort of a thin layer of uh, a curtain over the window, blocking more and more sunlight. Eventually it's going to get really dark in the room. And when we regret those sins, when we have justified sadness, when the sadness is appropriate, and we don't fully know what that means yet, so do this with caution. <laughs> don't try this at home yet until we fully know what that means. We're going to slowly peel away or somehow pierce through and allow light to shine through. Now, I th it's really important to remember that our sins don't stop the light from shining. They just block the light from shining, but the light is still shining. Which means the relationship is is kind of being dampered from our perspective, not from God's perspective. Let's let's take a look at how he words it over here from the verse in Isaiah. Um, the top of page 298. Or, you know, let, let's go, sorry, my mistake. T bottom of 297. The last bold paragraph, the last paragraph. Through this sadness and introspection, the impure spirit and the sitra achra, the klipa, will be shattered. Next page. As well as the iron wall. This is a quote. The iron wall which interposes between you and your father in heaven. The, wall, the, the iron wall which is getting in the way between you and God. It's not getting in the way between God and you. It's between you and God. This is very specific. In other words, my connection to God is always there. I'm just not experiencing it because I've desensitized myself. But the relationship is always going to be there. The sun is always shining no matter how cloudy it is. No matter how many curtains I put, I, I, I put up. The sun is still shining. God is still illuminating. I'm just not allowing myself to experience it. But I can. If I experience justified sadness. If I allow myself to somehow peel away those layers. So then just like joy is functional. Enables us to be motivated. Sadness can also be functional rather than reactive. In other words, feelings are a function, are an engine. Feelings are an engine to behavior. They're supposed to serve as a function. They're not supposed to control our lives. We're not supposed to be slaves to our feelings. And that applies to joy. Joy is supposed to motivate us. We're not just supposed to run after whatever makes us happy. And that applies to sadness too. We're not supposed to fall captive to any negative feeling that we experience, we don't have to. On the contrary, we're supposed to intentionally experience negative feelings when it's appropriate, and that's just a mere function to peel away that wall, the idea of teshuva. Any thoughts, questions, comments, controversy? <laughs> okay. Now we can really experience joy. Um, page 299. <laughs> he brings the, the, the interpretation from the Arizal. The Arizal was very big into joy, by the way. The Arizal is a four, the 14th century Kabbalist from the city of Tzfat. 
which much of what we know about Kabbalah is from him, even though Kabbalah predated him, but he was a big Kabbalist, and, and much of what we know, much of Tanya is based on his teachings. The Arizal was very much into joy. The Arizal used to say that his divine spirit and his divine intuition that he had was a direct result from serving God with joy. Because it was known that he had a, a divine intuition and he said it was all because of serving God with joy. That's all. He had all these Kabbalistic um, insight, but that wasn't the cause for his divine intuition. It was just because he was able to serve God with joy. It's actually very strange, but there's a certain tribe that actually dances and they sing and they, they're so happy. And even if somebody dies, and it's all for the ancestors and serving God. Interesting. And it's like, and they laugh, and they, I think they might be high as well. Okay, yeah, that's likely. Because <laughs> that's very extreme. Because they smoke, you know, like. That's very extreme, but yeah. But it's like, it just sounds like this. Yeah, it, so again, sadness, mourning, grief, all these things can be justified, can be appropriate in the right time and place. But but Darizal in general would, would serve God with joy. And the way he interpreted this verse, the verse says, it's a verse from Deuteronomy. Um, it's quoted in the in the bold paragraph in the middle of 299. And scripture is explicit about this fundamental importance of eliminating sadness. And this, this is what it says. Because you did not serve God, your God, with joy and with the gladness of the heart from an abundance of everything. Therefore, you will serve your enemies whom God will send against you, etc. And the way that's classically interpreted, interpreted, interpreted <laughs> is you didn't serve God when you had everything. You didn't serve God with joy when everything was good. The way that Arizal interprets it is you need to serve God with joy with everything that you have, with all of your abilities. Every fiber in your being has to serve God with joy. And here's what he says in Tanya, the fourth section of Tanya, um, text seven in our sheets here. The fourth section of Tanya is a compilation of different letters that the Altsarebbe wrote. And this is what he says, Therefore, first of all, man ought to be happy and joyous at all times and truly live by his faith in God who animates him and is benignant. I don't know what that word means. I don't know what that is. That, is that the right word? It's like benign with an ant. Well, benign means like, like. Um, harmless. I wonder if that's a real word. I don't know what that word means, but... Benign. Is, benign, is, that, is that what it is? I'm not sure. Anyways, God is with him at every moment. He has to rejoice. But he who is grieved and laments in an inappropriate way um, in this context makes himself appear as if he is somewhat bad and is suffering and lacks some goodness. He is like a heretic if he is experiencing inappropriate sadness. Heaven for event. And here's the key here. Here's the point. That is why the Kabbalists strongly rejected the trait of sadness. You know, is he in denial? There is a fine line between denial and faith. No, and rejecting um, traits of sadness, then you just, that doesn't exist. Of inappropriate sadness. Yeah. When sadness is inappropriate, it has to be rejected. Kabbalists, the, the, the world of Kabbalah was generally experienced Judaism with joy. When the Al-Tireb, when the Baal Shem Tov really began his teachings of Hasidicism, which is ultimately the whole purpose is to be able to serve God with joy. And when the Al-Tarebbe took it to the next level and compiled his book, the Tanya, he got a lot of pushback from the Jewish world at large. 
because these are novel ideas. The idea of focusing on the joy, on the, the soul of Judaism, on the joy of Judaism, rather than just the observances, was novel and was scary to people. And one of the claims was, these Hasidic people are just too happy. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of unusual. They're too happy. And they feared, or confused, I should say, happiness with, with, with frivolity. Joy and frivolity are not the same, but they can easily get confused. One is, one is reactive. One is something we're a slave to. One is controlling us. One is motivating us. One is inspiring us. One and is actually divine. The Talmud says that the divine presence only rests within joy. And actually, in my in Maimonides, in his Code of Jewish Law, where he discusses the idea of prophecy, that certain people are fit to become prophets, they could not prophesy if prophesize if they were not joyous. It says in the Torah that, uh, and Rashi points this out, that when Jacob was mourning for what he thought was his dead son, Joseph, who was actually alive, was mourning for 22 years, that entire 22 years, he did not experience prophecy. He did not experience communion with God openly, as he, as, as he did, would as a patriarch. It was only until he found out that his son was alive and he was rejoiced that he was able to experience this prophecy. Joy is divine. Joy is holy. And it's necessary. Okay, so I've got a question. How do you feel for someone who's going through a really hard time? If you joyous, if you don't have the same, it's like kind of selfish. If you can't empathize with that person for going through a tough time and kind of put yourself in that person's shoes. Why you, you then again? Sadness is only improper when it's inappropriate. When it's appropriate, it, it's proper. So it's a proper. So you're allowed to empathize with someone for for their loss because it's not your loss, but it's their loss. 100%. Empathy is, is, is very important. Empathy... So when you be joyous and somebody's suffering, it's not, it's not a... You can't just live your life. Uh, no, it, ha it, it, it has to be in, a, in, a, in an appropriate... Everything has its time and place, 100%, bottom line. You're not going to be at a funeral dancing, 100%. Because if you are, like, I'm worried. <laughs> Everything has to be in its time and place. Um... You know, there, there's time where there's, you know, Yom Kippur, mm -hmm. for example, is a very, in the literal sense of the word, awesome day. It's a day where we experience reverence. It's a serious day, but it's also joyous. Ironically, Yom Kippur is a joyous day. But we remember our ancestors. Yom Kippur is when we rem remember our ancestors. It's so a day that we repent for all our sins. But it, it, it's joyous, but joyous doesn't mean frivolous. Mm -hmm. The word Yom Kippur, translate the words literally, Yom, the day, okay. Kippur, like poor, like Purim. Right? In, in this Machsor, in the Siddur, we say Yom Kippurim. The day, Ke, I mean, the prefix Ke in Hebrew means like, right. a day like Purim. Purim is the ultimate joyous day, and, and Yom Kippur is like that, resembles that. The joy is experienced different than we would on Purim. Purim is through 
through eating and drinking and partying in a sense, in, a, in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. Yom Kippur, it's more spiritual joy, but it is joy. It is joyous. But it's important to not confuse joy with, with frivolousness and frivolity. 100%, agreed. So what is the relationship to happiness and joy? Like, it seems like joy can bring happiness, but happiness doesn't necessarily bring joy. I don't know. What's the difference between happiness and joy? I don't, I don't know in the English language what the difference is. It's something I always go back. I don't know if maybe you guys have insight. Yeah, I always go back and forth in my mind. Long-lasting, deeper feeling, and yeah. happiness is a short-term. So, so the way I hear, if I, if I eat a pastrami sandwich, I'm happy. Okay. No, I don't have joy in eating a pastrami sandwich. Okay. Maybe I do. It's deep <laughs> So there's a, there's a therapist that that I was listening to. The way he words it is joy versus excitement. If I eat a pastrami sandwich, it's not happy. It, I don't know if it's happiness or joy. I don't know what happiness means, but it, it's excitement. Excitement is reactive. The joy that we're, what we're talking about is not excitement. We're talking about genuine joy, which is an exercise. It's something that we have to be intentional about. Now, I, if we ended the class tonight here, which we will, it, it, it's a cliffhanger because I haven't told you how to get to that joy. <laughs> I just told you you need it. <laughs> <laughs> but what I can tell you, to keep you on suspense, is that it's not something, it's, in the worldview of Tanya, joy is not some, it's not a, just like sadness can't be circumstantial, has to be something over something that's appropriate, joy has to be appropriate, it's not just circumstantial, it's not over a situation, it's not situational joy, joy is something essential, it's something that, it's an exercise, it requires being intentional. In Judaism, joy is really an, an exercise. And in, in that sense, it differs from excitement, which is experience, just a, an experience that comes and goes. And the difference is one is motivating and one is, you know, the, the pastrami sandwich is great. I love pastrami, but it adds weight on me. It holds me back. <laughs> Happy when you're eating it, but not afterwards. <laughs> For me, it's Chinese food. It's like right before and during. It's like, it's heaven. And then <laughs> I wouldn't call that joy. I would call it excitement. Joy is something. Joy is an exercise. Not always a fun one, <laughs> but it's motivating. That's my story. Oh, good question. Well, it's not my story. Yeah, don't finish the story. <laughs> the story's not over. Um, I, I wanted to come back to something that I found a little bit troubling. Okay. Um, page two ninety nine. When we were reading um, that uh, paragraph starting, and Scripture is explicit about. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just read it again to emphasize where I got troubled. Um, Okay, and Scripture is explicit about this fundamental importance of eliminating sadness because you did not serve God, your God, with joy and with gladness of heart from an abundance of everything. Here's where I get troubled. Therefore, you will serve your enemies, whom God will send against you. Mm. I am troubled by this. It's almost as though 
Okay, yep. you know, I Revenge. so I wasn't I wasn't joyful, I wasn't glad. So now God's gonna throw up all these stumbling blocks in front of me to To deal with it. Well, not to deal with it, to to thwart you know, I, I'm re I, I've got to be reading this wrong. You're, no, you're reading it right. It's a great question. And the, the commentaries all ad- address this issue. It's a big issue. In other words, essentially, God's saying, the Torah is saying, you did exactly everything I wanted. You put on tefillin at the right time. You lit the Shabbos candles at the right time. You celebrated Shabbos. You gave charity. But you didn't do it happily. You did it behaviorally. You didn't do it happily. And now I'm going to punish you. I shouldn't have done it at all. It's not fair. You said it. The rabbi said it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the answer is there's several explanations or, or ways to understand this. The, the simplest way to understand it is your enemy refers to the evil inclination. If we're not going to serve God with joy, we're going to be serving our enemies. That's what's going to happen. We're going to be serving our evil inclination or we're going to be a slave to our animal soul. Um, if, if we're not doing it happily, it becomes a burden. If I'm not excited about my Judaism, my, Juda, my Judaism becomes burdensome. If I'm not, it's, This is any relationship. If I'm stuck in a relationship rather than I get to be in the relationship... The relationship is burdensome. And even though I'm doing what I should be doing in that relationship, I'm serving my enemy. Okay. That, in other words, Judaism becomes an enemy to me and a stumbling block to me because I'm not doing it joyfully. Okay, but you really haven't touched on the trouble, troubling part. What's the, and, what's and, the problem? And, as, and as, you, as you've said many times, every word in this Tanya is, is labored over by... I forget which Rebbe. Yeah. Um, and, and so every word is important. So where it says, so, so you, you just addressed the part that says ser- serving your enemies, but you have not addressed whom God will. Will send against you. I'm, 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 I'm king in on the word will, because that implies that it's future. It's, it's, not, it's not like, like in, in, in your idea, you said, okay, you've got this animal soul. It's there. It will always be there. But now suddenly, God will send some, God, you know, will send you up against your enemies. Future. It's like, it's like okay, you know, um, your explanation addressed the, the concept of, of fighting against your animal soul, which we all have. So the, pr- the problem is that fact that God is actively sending it, it's not just happening. Right, right. It's so revenge it's. It's going to take revenge on you. It sounds vengeful rather than react rather than uh, as a con- rather than consequential. So how is this well, any well, different than um, if you serve if you the Vahapta, um, after the Vahapta, where it, it tells you what to do and if you don't do this, there's a punishment. This is your the the rains will dry up and your land will be dusty and you will have not you won't have enough to eat. It's sort of the same. I mean, re- reward and punishment is a reality in Torah. The scary thing is that the reward and punishment here is not even for... You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's just not with joy. It's not with the correct... Um, the, the, way, one, the way the Altar Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, explains it actually in, in one of his other discourses, 
I don't know how it and I don't know. How, I guess we have to look at the exact Hebrew words. Doesn't necessarily answer your question, Will. But he says nobody's perfect, so consequences are inevitable. Punishments are seen as consequences in Judaism. Punishments are seen as as more opportunities to rectify what we've done. The whole concept of hell is referred to as purgatory. It's a purging process, a cleaning process. That's why hell is referred to as, you know, in the movies, it's a fiery place. Fire cleans. It's a cleansing agent. In general, punishment in Judaism is a cleansing process. And we're all destined to... We all slip, we all make mistakes, we all need a little bit of a cleaning. It's inevitable. And if we don't have joy, one way to avoid cleaning is joy. If we have joy, we avoid that whole process to need cleaning, to need cleansing. So ignorance is bliss. Joy is bliss. <laughs> if, we have, if we have joy, if we experience active joy, then all we're doing is avoiding something that we should have gotten, which is our enemies and all these different purging processes. Can you take it that if you're experiencing joy, then you're actually doing the right thing? Huh? You take it as if you're experiencing joy, you're doing the right thing. So if you're not, you need to change to make joyful so that you can know that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. He's, he's so, not, yeah. This is not implying that that is your fate forever. Either. I mean, because once you start to show joy, that goes away, I would think. The, the, you saying these things. What, these what you, things of, uh, you avoid you these serve things. your enemies. You'll, In other words, these are, these are just, it's natural. It's very natural to fall into hands of enemies. It's very natural for all these negative things to happen. And we can, if we have, joy brings us beyond nature. Because joy means I'm kind of going out of myself. I'm going beyond what my mind tells me, I'm going beyond my own nature. And I, I, I don't have to experience the, the norm, the normal course of life. Joy breaks all boundaries. Yeah. You know, I guess, I guess uh, the, uh, part, part of the reason I'm, I'm troubled by this is because I, I, think about, I think about this in the context of when, when, you, when you serve God, we get to... We get to um, through it seems to him, we get to we get to stare right into in, into God's infinite light, but when we don't serve God, then all we get to see is God's behind, right? Which doesn't it, which implies that his his countenance is not shining on us in full force, um, and therefore, as a consequence of that, we're not necessarily under God's protection at that particular moment. But that's different than, but, but not being under God's protection is different than saying, God will send against you. There, there, there's something that's, you know, if God, God not giving you protection, that, that's, what happens is a passive consequence. But this is an active, this is a very active action here, right? And that's why I'm troubled. So, it sounds active rather than passive. It sounds active all as opposed to, huh? God's all good. So this is wrong. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't, don't want it, to. It's more to this. It's more of a question. He's quoting the verse from Deuteronomy. Yeah. Right. It's it's not so much of a question on Tanya as it is on on the actual source on the verse itself that he's yeah. quoting. If you look at the bold, the truth is Tanya. The original Tanya didn't even quote that second half of the verse. Uh, oh, right. I, I noticed that it wasn't in bold. Yeah. 
But it, it, and it's still a valid question. What book are you looking to? So this is the, the original source of the verse in, De in Deuteronomy, in the Chumash, in the Torah. into it. I, I don't want to keep the recording. I know, I understand, I understand. <laughs> no, no, let, let, let's, here one second, we'll stop the recording okay. and then I'll, I don't want to keep our listeners waiting. We'll, we can, I, I, we'll still hang up. So That's my story the, and I'm sticking to it. All the listeners are yeah. No, I didn't. Is that your story? That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Okay. 